Well, of all the days of the year, uh, today, Christmas Day, is probably the one day we associate more with giving gifts to one another, exchanging gifts, uh, than any other day. Why do we exchange gifts on Christmas? Any of the kids know? Why do we give gifts on Christmas? You don't know, but you're glad we do it. Do you know why, Clyde? Yeah, that's one reason we can point to the wise men who brought gifts to baby Jesus of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, And so we do that. And we also understand that God so loved the world that he gave us the gift of Jesus. And so our theme last night and today is Christ is the greatest gift. And as we exchange gifts, we want to be like the wise men. What did they do? They brought their gift to Jesus. And then what did they do? They bowed down and worshiped him. So we want to emulate the wise men in that way. So I know all of you boys and girls, uh, big boys and girls and little boys and girls, will open a lot of presents today and many gifts uh, here today on Christmas. But I want us to look at the Bible Specifically, our text this morning will be Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35, as we look at eight gifts that we see in this passage. I want to say these are eight gifts that even if you don't have any presents to open, these are eight gifts that God has given you. So here are eight gifts. You can write them in the margin of your Bible and understand these are presents today for Christmas morning that God has given you if you put your faith and your trust in Him. Here are the eight gifts. Number one, the gift of godly people in your life. Godly people in ungodly times. Number two, the gifts of the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit. The gift of Jesus Christ. The gift of peace according to His Word, which is also another gift. The gift of salvation. The gift of growth. The gift of submitting to Jesus and then being exalted. And finally, the gift of suffering for the sake of truth. Look there at Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem, that being Jesus. Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to Jerusalem, to the temple, to present him to the Lord. Verse 23 tells us that it's written in God's Word that every male who first opens the womb, every firstborn male, shall be called holy to the Lord. So every firstborn male in in a Jewish family belonged to God belonged to the Lord. So they came to the temple to present him and say, this is our firstborn son. He belongs to you. And then in verse 24, Mary and Joseph offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now, one way that we know the wise men had not been there yet is because Turtle doves and pigeons were the offerings of the poor. If you could afford to buy a bigger, more expensive animal, you would. And if they had had gold, they would have bought a nicer animal. But they gave these uh, meek and lowly sacrifices that God had uh, prescribed, and so they gave a pair of turtle doves 
and two young pigeons to be sacrificed when they brought Jesus to present him to the temple. And now we see in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means he was waiting for God's Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had received a special blessing. It tells us in verse 26 that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I want to point to the first gift we see in our passage as the gift of godly people in ungodly times. There are three people mentioned in verses 20 through 22 through 26. We have Mary and Joseph and Simeon. I'll start with Mary and Joseph. Isn't it a gift to have parents who long to please and obey the Lord? You may not be perfect as a parent. You may not be perfect as a parent of adults. You may not be perfect as a grandparent. But your children and your grandchildren will always benefit from a godly legacy and a godly heritage because it's a blessing to have parents and grandparents who love the Lord. They came to the temple and they brought their sacrifices as they were obeying God's word. They were doing what was told to, to, to do according to the law. And I don't know if you guys have noticed lately, but this world is a world that moves the boundary stones, changes where the goalposts are. We live in an age where evil is called good and good is called evil. We live in an age where the truth is something you feel and it's not something that you learn. In the world that we live in, the idea of human identity has basically been reduced down to sexual urges or who oppresses you or who is oppressing you or who you're oppressing. <laughs> it's a confused world. And a confused world produces confused people. People who don't know that humans were designed to bear the image of God. You were designed to become more like God. Not more like animals, but we live in an age where people tell us you're nothing more than just a slightly better animal. But godly parents who are part of a godly Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church can raise children that at the very least are exposed to God's Word and know the truth of God's Word that points us to the fact that they have a purpose. And we have a purpose but little baby Jesus couldn't take himself to the temple, could he? Little baby Jesus had to have parents who would take him to church. And our children can't take themselves and how they love coming to church. Have you been up here on a Wednesday night and seen all those kids? And we wonder, why do they come? What makes them want to come up and hang out with me in the second grade classroom where I have to get on to them a lot because they never stop talking? And yet they're listening, and it amazes me that they come up there, and it's amazing that they hear when I'm so distracted, I can't even think of anything because of all the, the way that the room is, all the distractions in the room. The other night I was teaching the kids about uh, when, when Jesus Christ raised Jairus' daughter. And I said, Jesus went there to the little girl, and he said these words in Aramaic, Talitha kum, 
which means get up, little girl. And I was telling the story, and I didn't think any of them were listening. There's a little girl named Kelsey sitting in the very back of the room against the wall in a chair because we have a lot of kids in there. They're all over the room. And I said, well, what did Jesus say to the little girl? And, and, and she raised her hand. She said, Talitha Kum. I said, that's amazing. What does it mean? It means get up, little girl. And she was learning God's Word. Because, and she comes every single week. And those kids come back because they love church. Because when they come here, they know the people that are in this church love them. And they know they hear about a God who loves them. It's amazing. If we'll bring these children, it's amazing what they can learn. What a gift it is to have parents who will bring their children to church, who will talk with them about the things of the Lord at home. Even if they don't have much. Even if all they can afford is two turtle doves. We can give our kids a great gift just by coming to church. Just by singing loudly and letting them see that we love Jesus and we're not ashamed to say it and to sing it and to be obedient to what He has told us to do. And then there's Simeon. Look how Simeon is described in the Bible. Verse 25, righteous, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. We all know people that God has put in our life that are like this. People that are righteous. Now, what do we mean when we say someone is righteous? Well, we know the Bible says that nobody's righteous. But here's what it's saying. is that Simeon believed in the Lord Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. He knew that Christ was coming. He was blessed to be able to hold him in his arms. He didn't know what we know. He didn't have all the particulars laid out for him in the New Testament the way we do. But he was trusting that God was going to send one who would be a Savior. And he was righteous in the way that he was trusting God to save him because he knew he couldn't save himself. And so when we say that someone is righteous, the way I can say that I'm righteous or that a Christian is righteous, and the way that Michaela testified that she's righteous this morning in the baptistry was by saying, I'm righteous because Jesus has taken away my sin and he's given me his righteousness. That's how we are righteous. But then also the Bible uses the word righteous to describe people that are honestly seeking the Lord. Not perfect, but wanting to do all they can to be righteous and devout and looking for ways that God is moving around them. This uh, uh, passage tells us that for Simeon, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Perhaps the Holy Spirit was not in him because he was not indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That came at Pentecost. But he was saved by his faith, and the Spirit was working in some ways in his life, even to the point where he was promised that he would see the Lord's Christ. He was made this promise at a time when the Word of God had been greatly distorted. The Word of God had been distorted by the conservatives that we call the Pharisees. The Word of God had been distorted by the liberals that we call the Sadducees. The Jews were occupied by the Romans. That world into which Jesus was born was hard. It was cruel. It was a struggle. But Simeon was faithful in faithless times. He was godly in ungodly times. Times such as the ones we live in now. And so what do we do? What should a new Christian do? I tell them, I say, when they come to Christ, find the most godly person you know. Find your Simeon and hang out with them. They are God's gift to you. 
and they will show you how to love and serve Jesus. Find the one who's faithful in unfaithful times. And so Simon had this special uh, revelation. He wasn't going to die until he had seen the Messiah. Look at what it says happens in verse 27. It says he came in the Spirit. But there was something about God's Holy Spirit that moved him to the temple that day when Mary and Joseph had brought Jesus to present him. And the parents, it says, brought Jesus in to do for him what is to be done according to the custom of the law. And there Simeon, in verse 28, took up Jesus in his arms and blessed him. And this is what he said. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. First gift, godly people in ungodly times. Second gift, the gift of the Spirit. Simeon came in the Spirit. The Spirit was upon him. We have the Spirit if we've trusted Christ in us. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and there are gifts of the Spirit that manifest because we're filled with the Spirit. And then the Spirit in our lives produces fruit that can be seen. And we don't have time to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, but we can just think about the fact that we have a spiritual gift, we can think about the fruit of the Spirit, and we can see what a gift of God we have in the Holy Spirit. Number three, we have the gift of Christ. We have the gift of Christ the Son. For God so loved the world that He, what? Gave. He gave His only Son. I was standing here talking with uh, Dan this morning. He was talking about a conversation he and Lonnie had had. And Lonnie told Dan, he said, Dan, you know, I'd do anything. I love you, brother. I'd do anything for you. I'd take a bullet for you. I'd jump in front of a car for you. Anything because of my great care for you and affection. He said, but you know what? I wouldn't ask my son to do that for you. And isn't that the truth? But what did God do? He loved us so much He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And just as Simeon was able to be received and to receive Jesus into his arms and bless God because Jesus had come, we too can receive Jesus and bless God and we will be received by Jesus and be blessed by God with eternal life. Christ is the greatest gift. And the result, number four, the result of our salvation is the gift of peace with God. When Simeon saw Jesus, when he held him in his arms, he said he was ready to depart in peace. Now we assume that that he was an old man. We don't really know how old Simeon was. But seeing Jesus was enough for him to say, this is all I've needed. Everything from this point on is fine. You can take me in peace. Now I know most of us are not prepared to die. If, if somebody said, this is it this afternoon, there's probably a lot of things we'd want to do to make things right and get things ready. But Simeon was ready to depart in peace because he was not afraid. Because the one that he'd been trusting in, he was holding in his arms. Trusting in this baby, this Christ. Knowing that this Christ would do whatever it took to make peace between him and God. 
He held that baby and He knew the peace that salvation can bring. We have that peace because we've believed. We've trusted in Christ. And the fact that He has made peace between us and God just as He promised He would according to the Word of God gives us that ability to say, I'm not afraid at what may come. Fifth, we have the gift of salvation in Christ. What can we say about this gift of salvation? According to what Simeon says, that this gift has been prepared, provided, given for all people. This is a gift, this baby Jesus who came and was born in Bethlehem is a gift for all people. What does he mean by that? He says in the next verses, it's for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's for everyone, for every nation, for every tongue, for every tribe. How can you imagine what it was, what it was like to be Mary and Joseph right there in that moment? This man comes in and he takes your baby. You know, if I was like at Walmart or something, or I guess in church or where someone walks up and takes my baby and starts saying stuff like that, I don't know what I would think about. I'd probably think, this person's crazy. Give me my baby back. I've had people come up to me and just say off-the-wall things. They told me, here's what God is saying to you. And I could tell they were just making stuff up. But this was different. (laughs) Because this was confirming things that the angels had already told them. They already knew amazing things about Jesus. They knew who He was. But look at what it says about His parents. In verse 33, it says, His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. This points us to another gift that God has given us. You don't stay the same. You grow. What a gift it is that we keep learning and we keep growing and we keep learning new things. We were back up in the baptistry about to baptize Michaela. And of course, I was going through, you know, the basics of what I tell everybody every time I baptize them. I say, now remember, being baptized is not the thing that saves you. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And I always point to my wedding ring, as I've probably told you many times, I can't even remember what I've told you, but uh, I'll say this wedding ring is not my marriage. This wedding ring is not the promises that I've made to Melissa. You can't see those, but you can see this wedding ring And you can know that it points you to those promises. This thing you can see, this sign, is a sign that the invisible things have happened. You can't see a promise being made. You can see the effects of the promise. You can see the sign that points you to the promise. And I go through all of that, and I I see the look on a 12-year-old girl's face. She's looking at me like, what else do I need to know? And I said, but hey, think about this. You don't have to know everything when you get baptized. You've got to know that you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're not going to know everything there is to know about being a Christian, probably until you get to heaven. I would say that's actually for sure. (laughs) You'll really understand it more when you're there and have have an eternal perspective. But we always need to be growing. And it's a gift God gives us that we can grow in our faith. It'd be boring if nothing changed, wouldn't it? How boring would that be? If you're not constantly being amazed in your walk with Christ, 
If you aren't hungry to learn and grow, then you should examine your heart. Where do things need to change? If the things of God are boring, that's a bad sign. Even in the hardest times, our walk with Christ should not be boring. We should be growing. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. These are the words of Jeremiah in Lamentations. He says, yet I call this to mind, and I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'll say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and I will wait for Him. What should our walk with Christ be like? It should be new every morning. In the best of times, here I'm reading to you from a book called Lamentations. In the best of time, in the worst of time, when we look up from our sin, our waywardness, our suffering, there is a thrill in knowing the God of the universe, which leads us to our two final gifts, the gift of submission and exaltation and the gift of suffering. Look at verses 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to, his, to, uh, to Mary, Jesus' mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed. And then he told Mary, A sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Number seven, the seventh gift I would say God has given us that we see in this passage is the gift of submission and exaltation. Now, there's two ways we could look at this. This verse um, 34. First, we know that many would fall because they would not believe. They would reject Jesus. They would oppose Jesus. They would hate Jesus. But there's another group of people which we could call the church, many who will also fall. How will they fall? They will fall to their knees in submission to Jesus. And they will rise because He lifts them up. The only way to enter the kingdom is to bow down. The only way to enter the kingdom is to hit your knees and to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, calling on the name of the Lord in humility. And if you've done that, the Bible says this is a gift of God that no one can boast. It's not a work of your own. It's the gift of grace that you would submit to the Lord and it will be His amazing grace that sees you exalted. Not based upon your own work, but based upon the work of Christ. And finally, the last gift. The gift of suffering for the sake of truth. Simeon says that Jesus is a sign to be opposed. If you follow Jesus and you identify with that sign to be opposed, you will be opposed too. Believers, we are not looking for approval from the world. Jesus stands against everything the world stands for. When you survey everything from a spiritual perspective, there are only two kingdoms, and everybody's either submitted to one or the other. When we're persecuted by the world for loving God, for loving the truth of His Word, we still love those who disagree with us. 
but we refuse to compromise and capitulate. When our hearts are pierced through like Mary's because the world hates our Savior, just as it hated her son. When Jesus Christ, just being who he is, reveals our sinfulness and the world's sinfulness and shows people the Savior they're rejecting, people persecute, they hate, they mock, they revile, and Jesus says, this is a gift. This is a blessing. What a gift it is to suffer for the truth of Jesus. It's not a gift to suffer because we're stupid. It's not a gift to suffer because we're sinful. But it is a gift to suffer by being identified with Jesus Christ. We have the gift of godly people in ungodly times, gifts of the Spirit, the gift of Christ, the gift of peace, the gift of salvation for all people, the gift of growth, the gift of submission and exaltation, the gift of suffering for the sake of the truth. And so we leave this place on this special day with these gifts in our hearts, rejoicing with each other that no matter what we face, we're not alone. There is one who's closer than a brother, one who's given us all of these spiritual gifts and seated us with him in the heavenly places. But when we survey this passage and we think about these gifts, they're all dependent upon one thing, one gift, one gift given to us by the Father, the greatest gift, Jesus Christ.